0: Our team at the Montana State News Bureau is back again at the Capitol following all the major action during the 90 day legislative session. From how Republicans navigate an historic supermajority to transformational decisions on spending billions in surplus and the fate of intense social bills. Listen here each week for everything you need to know about your state legislature. This is Big Sky Lead. Welcome back to week six, um, of Big Sky Leads coverage of the, uh, Montana legislative session. With me today is Seaborn Larson and Holly Michaels of the Montana State News Bureau. And today we're going to discuss, uh, some Republican backed legislation that seeks to change things, um, in the judicial branch. Um, and Holly is going to catch us up to speed on, um, a, a few bills that saw some, um, heated debate, um, and, uh, you know, impassioned testimony, but we'll start with Seaborn. Um, Seaborn last session, we saw an unprecedented conflict between Republican legislators and the judicial branch. It's been about two years since then. Um, what are we, what are we currently seeing this session?
1: Thanks, Tom. Yeah, if you remember last session, um, Republicans had fired up this special committee to look at the judiciary. They'd raised some concerns about um, records retention, and I think uh, more broadly, the claims of bias um, in the judicial branch, especially after 16 years of Democratic governors appointing kind of judges at all levels of the courts. And so, um, that committee, this special. Uh, Excuse me, the Select Committee on Judicial Accountability and Transparency Um, did a little bit of work in the interim, not nearly as much as I think we expected, considering the intensity of that fight last session. And I'm not going to get entirely into that just because we talked a lot about that previously, but Mm -hmm. um, I think they only met two or three times during the interim, but um, through a lot of behind the scenes work, kind of Republicans had crafted this final report, um, looking at several different things in the, uh, judicial branch that they wanted to address. And at the end of that report, um, they had completed 10, uh, recommendations for legislation where they could impose some more legislative oversight, um, over the third branch. And before we go further, I guess, I I think it's definitely worth saying that Uh, two Democrats on that committee, uh, Minority Leader Kim Abbott and Senator uh, Diane Sands, who had termed out last session, um, basically had nothing to do with um, compiling that report. Their, uh, (laughs) at least their their statement to me was that, you know, they had had only seen that report um, at the same time I did, uh, roughly just before its release. And so they had also put out their own report um, sort of, urging lawmakers on the Republican majority to maybe, uh, tone things down a little bit. Um, they also, that report that Democrats had created, um, never actually made it out of committee because the majority of Republicans voted not to adopt that committee. So when we talk about this report, um, it's entirely Republican crafted, Republican formed. So what, what has that legislation
0: looked like then?
1: Absolutely. So um, a lot of the bills we've seen, uh, that are, um, sort of look and sound like a lot of those recommendations, uh, out of that report are being carried by Senator Greg Hertz. He was the chair of that special committee. Um, and so like some of those, some of those recommendations include Senate bill, uh, 201, which is to clarify some recusal statutes, uh, relating to judges. So, um, you know, in kind of the uh, concern that judges are um, deciding cases where one of the attorneys on one side is just an example or a theory, a theoretical example, hypothetical is what they call that. Um, you know, where one one attorney in a case had donated some huge, some huge amount to a judge's reelection campaign, and that may um, give that kind of perception that a judge is going to rule in that attorney's favor. So, uh, Senate Bill Two Hundred One would put a $10,000 mark on Supreme Court justice campaigns and $5,000 mark on uh, judges for lower courts. That's district court, uh, justice of the peace, water court, You know things like that. Mm-hmm. So if an attorney or uh, their firm in total had donated those amounts to those com- campaigns within the last six years, then anybody in that uh, case or that proceeding could request uh, the judge recuse themselves and um, – it's sort of a, um, you know, putting a dollar amount on it that didn't quite exist before. Already, though, there's already statutes that um, say you know uh, an attorney can substitute a judge off a case mm-hmm. for no reason at all. It costs hundred dollars, but um, you can do that already. So this is this is putting some um, finance limits on things to, um, I think, kind of make that point. Right, that recusal is something that they're interested. That was uh, directly out of their report. But then there's also some legislation that's outside of the recommendations that came in that report. Um, Yesterday in the Senate State Administration Committee, we heard Senate Bill 200 also from Senator Hertz, which would allow judicial candidates uh, to run partisan campaigns for nonpartisan offices. And that's, Hmm. um, I think, an interesting idea just because we kind of got a a taste of that last year. If Mm. you you remember James Brown's uh, campaign for the Supreme Court was – pretty much draped in Definitely Republican support, absolutely, yeah. from pretty much the, the get-go. I think before um, candidate filing had even closed, uh, Governor Greg Gianforte, Senator Steve Daines and Attorney General Austin and all Republicans, had endorsed James Brown before um, the opportunity for more candidates had even uh, closed. And so, right. um, you know, we all saw James Brown himself as a Republican uh, president of the Public Service Commission. So, um, we all know James Brown lost that election. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it'll be interesting. There's a lot of, um, opposition yesterday from the legal community. Um, and you know, that bill also extends to nonpartisan offices, uh, pretty much in any race. So we're talking school board trustees, city council members, county commission members. And so, um, it's just an interesting, um, sort of, you know, angle to, to take the judiciary when Republicans talk about uh, things wanting to be more fair. Mm-hmm. And uh, this this kind of addition of partisanship doesn't seem to um, really affect that goal for them. But if, if you look at Republicans right now who say, um, we don't know much about judges in these elections because judicial candidates are barred from um, kind of talking about their own politics, right. obviously. If someone wants to call up a judge and say, I'm a Republican and I, I'd like to see – you know, abortion access go down in Montana, you know, how would you rule on something like that, judicial candidate? And that candidate cannot talk about that stuff because, you know, in the case that um, someone challenges law or some case um, involving abortion access goes in front of that judge, um, they're supposed to get a fair shake about that. So this is um, sort of a way to get around that if people can – you know, kind of infer what a judicial candidate's um, politics are just by that D or that R next to their name. I think there's some pretty polarizing subjects that kind of clearly define those two parties in uh, really concise ways. Uh, you know, that would give more information to the voters, so says the bill sponsors. But the um, opponents to that bill definitely said, you know, that kind of the opposite is true. You're losing that integrity in the courts if, um, say, a Democrat wants to go to court over an abortion access law, and the, and the judge in front of them is, uh, uh, had an R next to their name during the, during the campaign. So mm-hmm. that one um, was heard in committee yesterday, and they did not make any, take any action on that bill yesterday. So I'll be curious to see um, where that one goes.
0: So as we've mentioned before, <clears throat> you know, Republicans hold a supermajority in the legislature Um, So how are these bills faring in general?
1: So, yeah, Yeah. some of them we are hearing uh, for the first time this week and other bills are are, uh, moving along pretty quick. We uh, uh, saw Senate Bill 201 on the Senate floor yesterday. So that bill passed um, the Senate floor with one Democrat in support. Um, That was the, like I said, the um, $10,000, $5,000 bill. Limit until someone can uh, request a recusal from the judge, but there's also, um, you know, some some bills that have not uh, passed with that broad Republican support. Yesterday, we saw Senate Bill 230 um, go down in the Senate, and that was a bill that would take the Supreme Court administrator um, out from under the purview of the Montana Supreme Court and under the oversight of the a Supreme Court clerk, which you would think kind of all be in the same room, but the Supreme Court clerk is a uh, another judicial elected position, but that one is um, actually a partisan race. It's currently held by Republican Bowen Greenwood, and that bill would say that um, the Supreme Court administrator um, is you know hired and fired by the Supreme Court clerk, but then would still take direction from the clerk and the um, Supreme Court, pr- primarily the Chief Justice, Mike McGrath. And so um, Senator Chris Friedel yesterday, um, Republican from Billings, had kind of raised the issue of what happens when uh, that clerk, in that arrangement, when the Supreme Court clerk and the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court have different ideas for what the Supreme Court administrator ought to do. Mm-hmm. What happens, who takes, um, you know, Right. Who did do, who she d- defer to in that? In this case, is Beth McLaughlin as the Supreme Court administrator. And so um, he had said, you know, without a clear answer to that, this could really um, cause some damage or some havoc in the courts and all courts in Montana. You see, um, you know, the clearest example, at least we'd heard in committee, is that during the COVID pandemic, um, the chief justice, uh, his kind of guidance on how to handle the courts during a -a once-in-a-generation pandemic um, flowed through that court administrator's office to all the courts in the state of Montana, and those courts never um, shut down in the same way that we saw other government services in Montana shut down, which, um, considering kind of the inertia we all felt uh, three years ago, was uh, pretty astounding for government services, and so... um, that question alone, I think, was enough to tip a lot of Republicans over the line with uh, Democrats to kill that bill. And we saw it go down, um, I think, on a 20 to 30 vote yesterday. And so that's it's important just to say, you know, this um, there's a lot of legislation this session aimed at the judiciary, but it, it seems like there is um, a lot of thought going into this as, as those um, bills move forward.
0: Mm-hmm you know, and the judicial branch typically stays in its own lane, right? You know, but Mm -hmm. they do have a presence at the legislature. So what's, what's the third branch got to say about these bills? Yeah, as expected, the Montana Judges Association,
1: and that's um, sort of the uh, legislative, uh, you know, face for the judiciary uh, during the session, has fought a lot of these changes, but not all of them. So um, we're looking at Uh, you know, the confirmation of of two former Republican lawmakers on the Judicial Standards Commission, and that's a body that hears complaints against judges. Um, Bruce Spencer is the lobbyist for the Montana Judges Association, and uh, they came out in support of um, those appointments saying, you know, obviously you guys have a lot of suspicions about the Judicial Standards Commission, uh, this this belief that um, judges are um, letting other judges off the hook on these complaints, which are far and wide m- mostly um, dismissed, and um, you know members of that commission and the judiciary say that's because those complaints are typically fall in the category of people not being um, you know satisfied with how a ruling went, and uh, that's a matter they say for appeal, not you know a complaint against the judge. A, a, violation of the Judicial Code of Conduct would be closer to the judge um, being drunk in the morning or, um, you know, using inappropriate language or conduct in the courtroom. And so that's the sort of thing that the Judicial Standards Commission um, handles. And so the Judges Association, um, welcome to those two former Republican lawmakers, that's uh, Seth Burgley and Roger Webb. Um, onto that commission to essentially be there on behalf of the Republicans who have expressed a lot of um, you know consternation and frustration with the judicial branch recently. They also supported another bill we heard yesterday, uh, Senate bill 252, another Hertz bill that would um, really clarify that judges fall under um, the state ethics laws and um, you know again, they supported that one saying we this bill recognizes that, judicial code of conduct is a matter to be taken up by the commission and that um, ethics laws um, can be addressed through um, the same route that every other state official has to deal with those ethics laws. But um, I don't want to give a false impression that, um, you know, judges are on board with all of this stuff. We've seen um, a lot of uh, pushback against another bill. That's House Bill 326 from Representative Kerry seekins Crow, another Republican from Billings. That bill would take the appointment power for the uh, majority of the membership on the Judicial Standards Commission from the judiciary and give it instead to the legislative and executive branches in the um, General, Attorney General's Office and the uh, Speaker of the House and the President of the Senate. And so um, that bill, um, you know, they off- the Montana Judges Association expressed a lot of concern about that sort of partisan influence um, coming into a process that the Constitution says uh, is to be handled by the judiciary. So um, that bill is still moving along. It's still pretty early, but um, like I said, I think the, the Republicans' um, work in the interim and that um, uh, you know, conflict that we saw last session is, is definitely going to sort of manifest in, in different ways that we're not sure of yet in the session ahead.
0: Thanks, Seaborn. Um, Holly, let's let's jump over to you. Um, you reported on uh, the debate over Senate Bill ninety nine um, earlier this week that was on the Senate floor, uh, and the results of that debate were pretty uncharacteristic of um, how the Senate typically operates. Uh, for those that didn't see it or did and didn't understand what was happening. Can you kind of paint a picture and give us kind of a rundown of, of what happened there?
2: Yeah. So Senate is the upper chamber in the legislature and generally senators are more experienced. Generally you serve in the house before moving over to the Senate. Um, it just makes for a, I don't know, calmer might be the right word, but just a little bit different operations than the house. Um, deliberations are often pretty respectful in there, even on hard topics. Um, And it just feels like sort of, you know, the the upper chamber vibes a lot of time. But we saw, and this has happened with intense bills, which Senate Bill 99 is one of. um, The Senate kind of go out of decorum and have a lot of conflict in this hearing. The bill is from Representative, sorry, the bill is from Senator John Fuller. Um, and it is similar to legislation he's brought in the past, and what it would do is block doctors from being able to provide care to transgender minors in Montana. Um, And this year, this session, the bill would also extend to block the use of public facilities, which is understood to also include, you know, people who work in those facilities because they would be using that space from sort of acknowledging social transitions, Mm -hmm. which is when a kid might have different haircuts or wear different clothes or use different names and pronouns. So... And we heard in committee a lot of really intense emotional debate on these bills. Um, and that continued onto the Senate floor. Sort of the start of where the Senate had conflict over is Republicans in talking about this bill have often used the term um, Ampute- amputation. <laughs> you can yeah. Think of the word amputation to describe some of these surgeries that the bill would block. And important to note that you know, we've heard from a lot of opponents to this legislation and doctors that. These types of surgeries aren't done on minors, um, and especially aren't done on minors in Montana, but you know, we've u- Republicans have used that word amputation, and Senator Pat Flowers, who's the minority leader in the Senate, got up several times and said, you know, that's not what that is. That's not amputation, and I would appreciate it if we don't use this term. And it kept coming up over and over, and Flowers finally got up. and was like, you know, I have a wife who had breast cancer and had one of these surgeries, and she passed away, and it's deeply offensive to me. And it still happened after that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that was probably a pretty tense thing that kind of divided people. Um, And then we saw when they were getting ready to vote on the bill, and I think, too, probably part of what goes on in this is the Senate doesn't have the same cloture rules as the House. Okay. And there's not really time limits on how long senators can talk. So it stretched on for some time. Right. It was was a while. Very long. Um, You know, they brought the motion. um, We finally got to closing. Fuller gave us closing arguments. And we were in the motion to vote, and Flowers got up and tried to bring a motion to table the bill, which uh, Senator Steve Fitzpatrick, who's the majority leader and pretty into rules, got up and objected and said that was out of order.
0: Um, And so I guess my question there, before we proceed and what happened, um, could you explain a little bit um, how, why you would bring a motion to table? Does it take a lesser threshold to pass, or...?
2: No, same threshold. Um, I mean, generally, you do see those motions not really when Flowers bought th- brought it. You'd see it earlier in the process. Right. Um, and that's just to not go through all of this debate. you Because right. I think that more and more senators kind of know how they're going to vote. I think that's kind of a reality of politics we're in today is mm-hmm. that most people know how they're going to vote before they walk in that room. And maybe you might sway someone with something you say, but mm-hmm. I think that's the case less and less now. And so... Generally, if you just don't want to go through this whole emotional process, someone would bring it then. But right, okay. We had it at the end, and it is the same threshold, you know, a tie vote or, you know, more people vote right. to table it, it would go down. But yeah, so.
0: Okay, so this motion from Minority Leader Flowers drew some um, disagreement from Majority Leader Fitzpatrick over, you know, what the rules of the Senate were and if that was even allowed at that point, right?
2: Yeah, so then there was discussion of should they call an ad hoc meeting of the Senate Rules Committee, which would parse through this because it sounds like there wasn't clarity in the language and on what sort of if it was too late to bring that motion or not.
0: What does that look like, that ad hoc committee so meeting?
2: it could look like a lot of different things. It could look like breaking that committee leaves and goes into a room and sets up a meeting. What it was on this day, it appeared, was that those senators just gathered in the center aisle. Mm-hmm. And that's a really, as a reporter, it's kind of a frustrating place. In the House, they have a lot more um They've talked a lot more in the past about they don't really want to allow reporters in that center aisle. We push back a lot of times saying, like, look, if it is a quorum of a committee,
0: that's a meeting, and we're
2: there. Um, This one, I was not in the room because I was home dealing with home ownership disasters. Um, So missed out on that opportunity. But it did look like it was – at least some people making a decision and not really something that press had access to, but ultimately flowers withdrew his motion. Mm -hmm. Um, and then they just voted and it was check the vote count here. It was a 28, 21 vote. And then the margin actually changed. And, um, there were five Republicans that voted against it in that second reading. One of those Republicans went back and voted for it on third reading when it advanced to the house. But, we did um, see some what, Republican opposition.
0: Yeah, and what what was, what was did those Republicans that broke with the party say about their votes?
2: As the Republicans, just to be clear, you know, the, all the support for the bill came from Republicans, all Democrats plus this small group of Republicans voted against it. You only heard from one of them on the floor, and that's Senator Wendy McKamey from Great Falls. And she was saying, you know, as as mom, as a grandmother, I, I of course, want the best for children, my kids, everybody's kids. But I think this tramples parental rights. I think this gets in the way of what a parent can do for what they mm-hmm. think is best for their kid. Um, and we heard from Senator Dan Solomon afterward, and he said, "You know, I just think that there's too much government in people's lives, and we're the party of small government and less government influence, and that's where my vote lies." So, right, yeah.
0: So after all of this, um, all, after all of this, you know heated debate on the Senate floor. At the end of the day, it did pass out of the Senate. Um, but this is a part of a, a bunch of bills, uh, or at least, you know, a handful of bills that we've seen as of recent, um, that um, kind of targets, uh, you know, trans people and trans life. Um, can you talk a little bit more about kind of that trend and those types of legis- that type of legislation moving through the Capitol?
2: yeah so the the other bills that we saw this week one of them is a bill from representative Brandon Lear and it would say that it isn't discrimination in education for students to use a student's birth name name on their birth certificate and that would get it dead naming trans kids and it would also say that it's not discrimination um, to use a pronouns that the child doesn't use anymore. Hmm. And that bill also had a lot of intense debate. Um, you know, Lear was saying that, you know, his kids, he equated, and this is something that opponents of the bill took objection to, but he's saying, you know, my kids learn about cattle and they learned that a cow is a cow, a bull is a bull, and it would be confusing and wrong for me to force them to say otherwise. Um, so, you know, we heard a lot from opponents to the bill that you know they're nearly not the concern is not over situations where it's just a mistake you know people make those mistakes all the time people who might be very well intentioned and trying Mm -hmm. to call someone by what they'd like to be just screw up sometimes that's not it they were really concerned about bullying and we heard from you know kids in montana there was one kid who got up and said that they get bullied so much they go home from school, they fake sick because they don't want to be there. Wow. Um, we heard from a mother who said that, um, you know, her kids, one trans kid and her others were bullied so much in their small district. They first went to a district a half an hour away, and then even that didn't work, so they had to move across the state to find a you know, way to have their kids be safe at school. And even then, their kids still face just pretty horrific bullying we hmm. heard about. So... Yeah, Bill, It had one proponent, um, that was Jeff Lasloffy, who's the head of the Montana Family Foundation, and he talked about an example in another state in Wisconsin where it sounds like a group of boys um, got into trouble and were investigated for repeatedly, it sounds like, misgendering a fellow student, but that investigation was dropped and all the charges were mm. removed and there's not a lot of information about that case, so... You know, that was the one example cited. But then we heard just a lot about kids who get bullied in Montana schools. And that bill, um, later in the week, it passed out of committee, but it did get an amendment. Um, it was from Representative Casey Knudsen. Um, and what it did is say that it's trying to get at that if the behavior towards a trans kid falls into bullying, that the school still can't act and step in. Because that was something we heard from opponent after opponent is, look, we're already not – totally able to rely on administrators and teachers to step in. The ones that do are great, incredibly helpful. But we just worry this would be a free reign to bullying. So the amendment did make clear that you know, if there's real harassment and bullying going on, the school district, administrators, teachers can step in. But that still it wasn't enough for Democrats who still have a lot of concerns about the bill.
0: Mm-hmm. And then before we go, there was one more bill um, that actually got a hearing this morning um, from Representative Braxton Mitchell. Can you tell us about what that bill is seeking to do?
2: Yeah, so this bill would not allow for drag shows in public libraries and public schools. And then it would also say that sexually oriented businesses, and the bill defines that as like bars, restaurants, nightclubs, places that serve alcohol, um, that they wouldn't be allowed to host drag shows and have minors there. Um, so anybody under 18 couldn't attend. They could still host them, I guess, to make clear, but you couldn't have a minor attend that. Um, you know, Mitchell was saying that he just he doesn't think these are appropriate for kids. He doesn't think that's the right place to be. We heard from a fair amount of people in support of the bill, and we heard, and this was something that came up that the committee really struggled with, is... And we heard from proponents saying that they thought that these sorts of drag shows and drag performers were harmful to children, or could be. They could be, they were making claims of grooming. Um, You know, just other really concerning behavior that there's not reason to believe actually happens from this. So we Mm -hmm. heard Democrats on the committee object a couple of times, saying, look, like, this is not, this is maligning this group of people with no evidence. We heard from a... um, lobbyists for a coalition for domestic and sexual against sexual and domestic violence in Montana say, like, look, and we know from data when kids are abused, it's from people they know very, mm-hmm. you know, something like eighty some percent of the time and it's a, you know, family member, it's a friend, it's a friend of the family or someone from school, something like that's not strangers this often, like maybe seven percent right. of sexual abuse against kids is strangers. So it was just a really hard committee hearing and hard one for them to get through because of that. You know, from opponents to the bill, we heard from you performers at drag shows who said, "Look, we we get invited Mm -hmm. by um, you know communities. They want us to come out and do events, and they um, you talked about how those events have been helpful for kids. They've had a good time. They've had a good connection that it fosters you understanding and learning and all that." So it's another pretty emotional hearing, Um, just a hard one to kind of think about reporting on and balancing you know, and there's claims that are put out that you know someone has this fear and that's what they're worried about but if it's not rooted in fact how you sort of process that and, right yeah right. And the committee for sure struggled with that too during the hearing
0: right yeah well thanks guys until next week